welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be with you today. We're on episode 84, and we're working through today the topic of progressive sanctification or growing in holiness. Before I start today, I need to give you all a huge thank you. Because of you, friend, the podcast hit a half million downloads last week. I'm just so thankful to the Lord and to each of you who listens in. Um, I'm thankful when you share the podcast on maybe your social media or with a friend. And for those of you who have taken time to leave ratings and reviews for me. And I want to reiterate, it's not about the numbers, but it is about the amount of women who desire to be pointed towards Jesus. And that makes my heart sing. I'm so grateful for that, that as ladies, We want to see his work be done in our lives, and we want to be women who bring him honor and glory. And I do believe that if you're listening in, that's your desire, or you probably wouldn't be listening into my podcast. So that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And my desire always is to give us gospel-driven encouragement as homemakers or as women, but we're all making a home, right? So whether you work inside your home or outside your home, or you're married or you're single, you're a homemaker. So thank you so much, friend, for being faithful to the podcast, for continuing to encourage me with your comments and emails. I maybe don't get to respond to each one, but you have to know I read each one, and I'm so grateful and give thanks to the Lord for each of you ladies. So and one other shout out I need to give is to my podcast network, the Bar Network, which stands for Biblical and Reformed. I also need to give a special shout out to my friend Dwayne Atkinson from the Bard Podcast and for Charles Simpson from Past You Branding. He, Charles is a huge help with me with some of my marketing and some of that techie stuff that's a little challenging for me. Um, and Dwayne is my biggest, next to my husband, he's probably my next biggest encourager. So I'm really grateful for them. They have been a huge encouragement to me along with all the other podcasts in the network, which I encourage you to check out when you get a moment. Most of you are already familiar with the Just Thinking podcast and Dwayne's podcast on the Bar podcast, but check out Solacast um, and the Guys with Bibles, that deity though, which he is an apologetics podcast. And there's just a few others that I missed there, but they're over at the Bar Network. The men in your house, your husband ladies would love so many of these podcasts. So there's some good ones to recommend there. They would greatly benefit from it along with you. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the whole bar network and they're all listed there so you can find them all. And I'm going to link to Charles um, Simpson's blog too, or um, website, pastdobranding.com if you need some help with some of the services he offers. So that would be one to check out. All right. Let's dig into our topic today, which is a favorite of mine, and this was a great one to work through. It's sanctification. I want to start off with asking some questions of all of us to see if any of these thoughts go through your mind as they do mine throughout the day. I want to be more like Christ. Um, I want to be like Christ. I want to always think and speak and act and relate and respond to life and to people the way that Christ would. 
As Christian women, I know there's a desire within us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to grow in holiness. We desire to grow more in Christ's likeness. We desire to be more and more separated from sin. We desire the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So my hope in our short time together today is to direct us towards a biblical view of the way God works and the way we work in our sanctification. So this episode is coming from a message I shared at one of our ladies' studies as we work through a book I highly recommend, I'll bring it up again towards the end of the podcast, by Terry L. Johnson called When Grace Comes Home. It is working through how the doctrines of grace affect every day, our everyday lives as believers. And in our time together today, my prayer for us is that we're all going to grab some nuggets of truth because by God's grace, we can apply these to help us in our growth and becoming more like Christ. We are growing on this road together. I continue to tell you that, right? I am the continual learner. And also, the Christian faith is one of community. So we don't just desire to learn about sanctification in regards to our own lives, but we desire to see each other grow in the Lord because of our genuine love for one another. This is why I always emphasize you need to be part of a local church, an in-person body. This is a huge part of your sanctification process. And I have a church finder linked on my blog, so you can head over to thankfulhomemaker.com. If you hover over the tab at the top menu that says home, it's at the very top left-hand side. Um, if you're on your computer, if you're on your phone, it would be the top little menu bars up there. And when you a menu will drop down when you hit that, and you'll see the church finder link there. I'm going to get in my church soapbox for a minute here. I'm not giving you any excuses, okay? Because God designed us to be in community with other believers, and they are a huge part of our sanctification. Online church? Mm-mm, doesn't cut it. You will not be sanctified by online believers. They can't encourage you. They can't let you know how sinful you really are, right? <laughs> They're not going to bring out your impatience, your anger, your selfishness, and the list goes on and on. We need face-to-face fellowship with the body of Christ. It is so important. And it's not just revealing our sins. It's encouraging one another and spurring one another on and sharing truths with one another. These are good things, and we need it from our in-person Christian fellowship. So David Paulison was a biblical counselor, one of my favorites. He just recently went home to be with the Lord, but his resources are so beneficial, and I highly recommend any of his books. But I'm going to start off our time today quoting from one called, How Does Sanctification Work? And he states, Scripture scripture portrays the transformation in our lives in a range of colors and shades. There are reds, yellows, and blues with 16.8 million shades in between. So any monochromatic view of sanctification is like saying you are changed by the color red, end quote there. Okay, I want us to remember that thought as we work through this doctrine. So there's many dynamics of sanctification. We need first to be regenerated. We need God's word. We need other people. And we need to see truth through all kinds of various life experiences. There isn't a single key to unlock sanctification. This is not a one-size-fits-all, and there is no magic key. We're going to come back to those thoughts and elaborate more on them as we close this episode. But I love the reminder in the beginning part of Romans 8, 
8.29. You thought I was going to go to Romans 8.28, but I'm going to Romans 8.29. The first part of that verse says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God saved us, friends, so we could be conformed to the image of his son in every way, our thoughts, our responses, our emotions, our behaviors. In John chapter 11, we're told the story we're all familiar with of Jesus's good friend, Lazarus, who had died before Jesus arrived at his home. And that was, that was too in God's perfect timing because there was a lesson Jesus needed to teach them and us. The picture of Lazarus being raised from the dead is what happened to us when we came to Christ. We were spiritually dead. And when Christ saved us, he brought us to life. Sometimes we hear salvation described as God throws us a life preserver and we grab hold. Well, it's not that way. (laughs) See, a life preserver isn't going to help us. We We're like Lazarus, dead in the grave. So we're at the bottom of the ocean and we're dead. A life preserver is not going to save me. A dead person at the bottom of the ocean is not going to reach out and grab a life preserver. They're not going to reach out and grab anything. Ephesians 2.1 reminds us and tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So again, I'm not grabbing anything if I'm dead. We needed a miracle-like resurrection from God to create in us spiritual life. We were dead and had to be raised. At the moment of our salvation, when God brought us from death to life, we were granted the gift of faith, and we stand justified before Him. So for us to fully grasp sanctification, first and foremost, I need us to dig into the doctrine, even though it's going to be quickly here, of justification. All right, this is an essential thing, an essential doctrine to have an understanding of and how it relates and differs from sanctification. So bear with me here because there's purpose to it. So the Westminster Larger Catechism gives us a complete definition of justification, and I'm going to use the modern English translation. This definition I'm going to put on the post at the blog for the in the show notes for this episode so you can either follow along if you're online or you'll have it there to refer back to later so don't feel you have to write all this down. So here's the definition from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Again, I'm using the modern English translation. Justification is the act of God's free grace to sinners by which he pardons all their sins and accepts and looks on them as if they were righteous not because of anything worked in them or done by them, but because God imputes to them the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ that can only be appropriated by faith. End quote there. The most helpful illustration of justification for me has been a court of law. So in this court, God is the judge and we're on trial for our sins. We deserve to die for our sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus has taken that death penalty in our place. And think there, look up Romans 3.21 to 31 there. God, the divine judge, now looks at us and declares us not guilty. But he doesn't stop there. He goes beyond what a secular judge would or could ever do. God declares us righteous, ladies, because of Christ. That is justification. Keeping with this courtroom thinking, 
we now have a new legal position. We are righteous in Christ. So because of Christ's work on our behalf, our sins will never condemn us. If you're in Christ, your sins will never condemn you before the Lord anymore. Jesus Christ, because of his work on your behalf, took all your sin. Psalm 103, 12 states at best, God removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. At the moment of salvation, when we repented of our sins and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, we were forgiven of our sins and imputed or credited with Christ's righteousness. We hear that word imputed, so let's take a quick look at what that means. Very simply, the word imputation comes directly from Latin. It's an accounting term, and it means to apply to one's account or charged to one's account. So expenses are debited and income is credited. Jesus's righteousness is applied to our account. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet. Guests were invited from all over, and it tells us in Matthew 22:10 that they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Many times in history, when a great king would put on a feast, he would provide the necessary garments to wear at the banquet. The only garment that God the Father will accept on any of his guests at his son's wedding banquet is that of his own son's righteousness. This is a beautiful picture of imputation. As guests in God's house, those of us in Christ, we have been given the pure white robes of Christ's righteousness. We receive this gift of God's grace by faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We are adopted as his sons and daughters. That's Romans 8, 15. We become fellow heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8, 17. We are united with Christ so that we become one with him. That's 1 Corinthians 6.17. We are henceforth in, henceforth in Christ. That's Galatians 3.27. And he in us. That's Colossians 1.27. I'm going to put all those verses at the blog. Don't panic there. And we are positionally 100% righteous before God because we are in Christ the righteous one. Let me tell you that again, because that is important. We are positionally 100% righteous before God because we are in Christ, the righteous one. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Some of you may have come to faith in Christ out of a Roman Catholic background. The doctrine we just walked through quickly on justification is not the doctrine you would have been taught. In the Catholic church, they would teach that God makes that God makes us righteous, not declares us righteous. It's not a legal standing, but it's an infused righteousness that includes both faith and works to merit eternal life. It's a mingling together of the doctrines of justification and sanctification. Catholic theology substitutes the righteousness of the believer for the righteousness of Christ. Their doctrine teaches salvation is based partly on our works, that we in their view, that we are contributing to our salvation. I, this is not the teaching of the scriptures. How can you ever know if your works are sufficient? There is no assurance of salvation, and it's stating that Christ's work on the cross was not enough or sufficient to save you. It's telling us we need to add to it. All right, so let's look at the differences and similarities between justification 
and sanctification. So I want to do this before we start looking just at sanctification. I want to just go through this with you. This is important. So they are both a gift of the free grace of God. Christ is at the root of both. Those who are justified are always sanctified, and those who are sanctified are always justified. They begin at the same time. The moment God declares us justified, he also begins to sanctify us, and both are a necessary part of salvation. All right, now as we work through the differences, I want to take us back to the Westminster Larger Catechism again, but this time I'm going to do question 75 on sanctification. And again, I'm going to put it in the show notes. And also note, I'm going to include the Bible verses below the definitions in the show notes. So if you want to dig deeper and look up each of those verses, it would so increase your understanding of these essential doctrines. All right, here's the quote from the Westminster Larger Catechism on sanctification. Sanctification is a work of God's grace for those whom God has chosen to be holy before the beginning of the world and to whom in time the powerful operation of the Spirit applies the death and resurrection of Christ. They are thus renewed in their whole persons after the image of God, have the seeds of repentance unto life and all the other saving graces put into their hearts, And these graces are so aroused, increased, and strengthened that they more and more die to sin and rise into newness of life. End quote there. Justification is described as an act of God's free grace, and sanctification is a work of God's grace. Let me say that again. Justification is described as an act of God's free grace, and sanctification is a work of God's grace. God does not continually justify us. An act, as it's stated there, is a one-time divine intervention. On the other hand, a work is an ongoing activity of God, and he is continually at work within us to sanctify us. I want to quote from here from the book, When Grace Comes Home, that I mentioned earlier that Our Lady Study worked through, and I want to give a shout out to my dear friend, Mary B., who was just huge at our church to help our ladies and work through this, and we all learned and grew so much in our time through the study of the doctrines of grace through this book. But all right, I'm getting back to there. So I wanted to quote, so I love you, Mary B., if you're listening. So I'm quoting here from the book, When Grace Comes Home, from the top of page 97, because it's so clearly stated Terry Johnson said, justification is a matter of being declared righteous as in a law court. Sanctification is a matter of experiencing righteousness in one's character and conduct of actually becoming righteous. Daily and progressively, we die to sin and become more righteous. End quote there. Excuse me. When God saved us, he justified us, but he wasn't finished with us yet. God is going to grow us in holiness, and this is where the doctrine of sanctification comes in. There's a sense in which God did sanctify us the moment we became a Christian, and this theological term is referred to as definitive sanctification. Okay, I love this verse. I'm not a life verse kind of person, but if I was, I think this would be mine. 1 Corinthians 6.11 states, And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So God no longer sees our imperfections. He sees the righteousness of his own son instead. Think here Ephesians 2.13 and Hebrews 8.12. Because we are in Christ, 
God sees Christ's righteousness covering us. But the reality is, we still sin. So if we go back to that Lazarus story we just talked about earlier, we're like a dead man running back to the grave and putting on the stinky grave clothes again and again. It is a battle to continually put off our old sinful habits and patterns and embrace new ones. We will not be free from sin until our death. Some people have erroneously thought that 1 John 3, 6 teaches us sinless perfection, but it doesn't. The King James Version of that verse is not a good rendering of the original Greek. The King James Version reads, 1 John 3, 6 says, Whosoever whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. The ESV reads, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. What John is stating here is that true Christians will not be caught in habitual, constant sinning. If we're in Christ, we're going to desire to do battle with our sin and we're going to hate our sin, but we will never be done with sin in our lives while on this earth. John knows as as believers, we still sin as he writes so clearly in 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And Jesus tells us to ask for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. We will never be completely sanctified in this life, but it shouldn't make us complacent about sin in our lives. And as I say this, it also reminded me of a term we hear in our evangelical circles, um, the let go and let God. That thinking is not biblical, and it is not the way to holiness. First of all, I don't need to, quote, let God because he's sovereign, and he doesn't need to wait for us to let go before he can work. And second, we should not let go because God commands us to fight in the spiritual battle, and he has equipped us to fight. Just read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. So sanctification is an ongoing process in our lives as believers, and it's referred to as progressive sanctification, really is what we're talking about here today. It began the moment the Lord regenerated us. It is God working in us, and he calls us to work out our salvation. Let me read Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We see that verse 12 there in Philippians 2 begins with a therefore. It's moving from doctrine to behavior. We have the example of what Christ has done for us in those earlier verses in Philippians, if you go back and read through chapter 1 and 2 before 2.12. And now the Apostle Paul is telling us what we're called to do. Paul acknowledges the obedience of the Philippian believers, and he continues to expect obedience from them being in Christ, no different than is expected from us too. He's telling the Philippians to continue to obey, and he is calling all believers to obey. Obedience is an essential part of our lives as Christians. The gospel is good news, and we love all it has to offer, but we need to remember that being in Christ, God now calls us to live in a particular way. 
throughout the New Testament, we are given commands. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Luke 13, 24 says to strive to enter through the narrow door. 2 Peter 1, 10 tells us be all the more diligent. We're commanded to be holy because God is holy in 1 Peter 1, 16. God is at work 100% in our sanctification. It is all of his grace. And God's word calls us to obedience. It is throughout the scriptures. And he calls us to cooperate with him in this activity. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how does God sanctify us according to this verse? What is his role in sanctification? He causes us to want his will and by giving us the power to do it. Hebrews 13.21 tells us, God will equip us with everything good for doing his will and will work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus. Jesus earned our sanctification and he serves as our example. He has a significant role in it. But it is the Holy Spirit at work in us that changes and sanctifies us and grows us in holiness. The Holy Spirit is given to all believers in Jesus without exception, and no conditions are placed upon this gift except faith in Christ. I'm quoting there John 7, um, 37 to 39. And second, the Holy Spirit is given at the moment of salvation, and he indwells believers permanently. We were baptized in him at our conversion, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and we were sealed with the Spirit at the moment of salvation, that's Ephesians 1, 13. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us to, quote, be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't mean any of those things we just mentioned, because they all happened at the moment of salvation. Paul has our sanctification in view here in this verse. And the Greek verb of that um, of be filled with the Spirit means to continually filter. As I first heard it from John MacArthur, to keep be being filled. Paul is not saying here continually. Paul, should, let me start that again. Paul is saying continually let the Spirit of God who is already in you control you. This is not a second work of grace or a step up to a higher level. This is a continual, a continual ongoing experience of the Christian life. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means you are continually surrendering your will, mind, body, time, talents, treasures, every area of your life, friend, to his control. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Think here Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These character traits are more and more evident as we mature spiritually. As we continue to walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit, we will become more responsive to his work in our lives and in our character. He will produce holiness in us. So what is our role in sanctification? We do have a passive role, and it is to trust, and as it says in Romans 12:1, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Romans 8.13 tells us, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If we only focus on the passive role, it's going to make us lazy and neglect the active role the Lord has called us to in our sanctification. 
We do have an active role in our sanctification. Just as Romans 8.13 tells us we are dependent on the Spirit, it also tells us we are able by the Spirit at work in us to put to death the deeds of the body. In Romans 8.13, the Holy Spirit is not the one commanded to put to death the deeds of the body. Oh, we are. Okay. So in Philippians 2.12 and 13, Paul tells us to work out your own salvation. And obedience is the way in which we do this. We are working out the benefits given to us by the Lord at salvation. He says to do it with fear and trembling. And this means solemnly and with reverence. But he doesn't leave us there. And what is the reason we are to do this? Because our work will bear fruit because it is God at work in us. This comes back to the foundational work God has done in us, in our salvation. Our work is empowered by God. There are so many verses throughout the scriptures that call us to holiness and godliness. Second Peter 1.5, Peter reminds us, make every effort to grow in character traits that are in accord with godliness. Why would we have exhortations to grow in obedience and holiness if we didn't have to put some effort into it? So when we come across those verses in God's word, we should be praying to strive for every effort to grow in holiness and obedience to God. Peter made it clear in his writing that it takes effort. Let me also remind us, there is no shortcut to growing in holiness. We are all growing at different stages. And on this path, we need to offer others also much grace as we hope they're going to do the same for us. None of us is going to be the finished article while on this earth. There's no perfect church or perfect people. In time, in our walk with the Lord, we will continue to look more and more like Jesus. We are all in the process of being renovated. I love the show Fixer Upper because they take a home and they just redo the whole thing from top to bottom. It's an instant redo. Well, that's not how it works in our lives. (laughs) The Spirit is at work renovating us. But it's a bit more the way I find myself renovating my home, a drawer, a closet, a room at a time. It's a process, sometimes seemingly slow at times. I need the Lord to help me do some renovating and I need to work at it with him. Jesus enters us as Christians and begins to take over the house and declutter and beautify us from the inside out. If we're in Christ, we are all being renovated towards Christ-likeness, but we're all at different stages and seasons in our walk with the Lord. I'm not saying this so you can become lazy about it and go, well, I'm just at a different stage. No, 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 no. We still need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as we talked about in Philippians 2.12. The reminder, this reminder needs to create in us humility and gentleness towards others. It should allow us to be much more tolerant with one another and offer each other much grace. We can desire to conform others into our likeness at times. But I want to emphasize, your life isn't the standard. God is the standard. So how do we grow in sanctification? What brings about change in our lives as believers? I'm going to walk through five areas. Some are pretty quick. So number one is God. The very first is God. He's the sovereign igniter of our sanctification, and ultimately all glory goes to him. Number two is scripture. We need to be people of the word, friend. The Bible tells us who God is and what he desires of us. God's word is sufficient for our sanctification. We need to read it daily, meditate on it, study it, pray it, hear it preached, and taught and apply it. 
John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Number three, we need people. Proverbs 13, 20 tells us, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Having good role models is a huge part of our sanctification. We need friends and companions to spur us on to love and good deeds. We need people who will be loving and merciful to us when we stray from the path because they know their own weaknesses and they also know the great mercies of Christ. God uses our interaction with other sinful people like us in sanctifying us because where else do we see things like our impatience and our anger and our frustrations and many other sinful responses and emotions come out. It's not going to happen if I'm just sitting alone reading my Bible all day alone. <laughs> we need, I haven't, I still am going to sin, but we, <laughs> but we need other people, which means we need to be in church. We need the fellowship of the saints. We also see areas where we need growth as we interact with our children and our husband or our parents or our church family or difficult people in our lives. I always love to state the reminder that we may be the difficult person in somebody else's life. (laughs) So all these people in our lives are there for a reason. Every person is not there by accident, but by God's good providence. And it's going to be true for most of us that the majority of our sanctification is going to take place within our homes among those we are closest to. The people we are doing life with daily and the ones that know our weaknesses best and we know their weaknesses best. Okay, number four is our circumstances. Our suffering and our trials, they change us. Difficulties in life make us call out to the Lord and depend on Him. Martin Luther said, affliction, trial, difficulty, struggle, the touchstone of Christian experience. He said that these hardships were his greatest teacher because they made scripture and prayer come alive. So we learn to love the way Christ loves when we experience hardships and trials that he experienced in loving us. And lastly, it's a choice. Number five, we change because we must choose to change. God is sovereign and man is responsible. God is 100% responsible and we are 100% responsible. And in the end, all glory goes to God for his work. I want to quote David Powlison again here towards the end. He said, whenever a person makes a turn for the better, sanctification is happening. End quote there. Listen, we're always going to be dissatisfied with some part of our sanctification. And this is why we need to be brought back to the gospel continually. We need to get good at preaching the gospel to ourselves. I have a podcast on that one. I'll link that one. Remember truths that you are righteous in him. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And again, as I stated, maybe this is a good time for you to listen to my episode on preaching the gospel to yourself. Remember how we've heard that justification can at times be referred to as just as if I'd never sinned. Well, a better way of saying that is just as if I'd always obeyed. Jerry Bridges tells us that's the way we stand before God, clothed in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as we grow more and more into the likeness of Christ, as we walk in trust and obedience to his ways, the more we will begin to grasp the goal of sanctification. And it's not just to better our lives or be happier people. Let me enter with Ephesians 4, 32. And, um, and five, two, two verses here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And Ephesians 5, 2 says, and walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are beloved children of God. Our sins are forgiven. We have goodness and mercy to bring to others. We are now able, or I should say we are able now to give our life away to others. We know we can't control people and events. We have come to trust in God's sovereignty over all things. Our confidence is becoming less and less in ourselves and more and more in our God. We can now identify and sympathize with the sorrows and weaknesses and needs of other image bearers because of Christ's work in us. So as I close, I want to leave you with the words of David Paulison. Perhaps the most dramatic evidence of headway in sanctification is that you no longer think so much about yourself. You are starting to do better when you're not preoccupied with how well I am doing. You are finding yourself when you lose yourself and worry less about who you are. A sinner forgiven, a sufferer sheltered, a saint in process, your welfare is impossible to separate from our welfare together. We are one in Christ, we are heading home, and we will see his face, and we will be made well, end quote. Let me pray 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24 over us to close. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And my prayer for us, ladies, is simple. Lord, please make us more and more like Jesus. Amen. Jesus is enough always. Hang with me here a second, friends, because I'm thankful for your time today and want to remind you all the links and scripture references and the Westminster quotes, those things will be in the show notes for you. And if you get a moment and the podcast has been encouraging to you, I would so love and appreciate if you could head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It has helped other people find the podcast. And those of you who have done that for me, I'm so grateful. And that's exactly why it has brought us to where we're at today because of those of you who have been so um, faithful and gracious to do that. So thank you. And my resource this week is the book that brought about this post or this podcast, I should say, called When Grace Comes Home by Terry L. Johnson. I'll link to that in the show notes too. But this book, it really works through how our theology affects our worship, humility, adversity, outlook, evangelism, holiness, assurance, liberty, prayer, guidance, and just living out our faith. Terry Johnson shows us how God's grace changes every aspect of our life. So pick it up, read it. You won't regret it. Read it with a friend or two even. It's a great book to do in a group setting or to just study through, honestly, a chapter at a time. Friends, I want to thank you for being with me all the way here to the end. It was a long one today, so thank you for hanging here. And have a very blessed week, my dear friend. Mm -hmm.